Hey everyone, welcome to the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael. It's Wednesday, June the 3rd, 2015 here at goodyreader.com. And we have a lot of news to get into today. So June is audiobook month, in case you guys were not aware of it. We're going to be showcasing a lot of audiobook content on the site. We're going to talk and do interviews with prominent people in the audiobook business by the end of the week, we should have something done with Findaway World, who is in charge pretty well of audiobook distribution to major libraries, and they actually hook up various other audiobook companies with their catalog of content. So this is done by the Audiobook Publisher Association. They've been doing this for a number of years. And for those of you that are unaware the audiobook industry is a billion-dollar business, and it's growing. In 2007, there was only 3,000 titles available. That figure rose exponentially to over 12,000 in 2011. In 2013, 20,000 audiobooks were now available, and in 2014, 35,000 were released by major publishers and companies like Audible. Audiobooks.com is a website that is specialized in audiobooks. They have an iOS app, an Android app, and every day for all of June, they're giving away a free audiobook. And they're not just giving away indie garbage or by authors you would never heard of, but stuff like Maya Banks, Jane Green, Rick Riordan, uh, T.C. Boyle, and many more. So there'll be stuff that is filling the genres, romance, horror, thriller, nonfiction, fiction and classic titles it basically serves as an introduction to what they're doing we've reached out to a number of retailers to see what type of deals that they're doing for june so far no one's really announced anything audible hasn't really announced any major campaign barnes and noble nook audiobooks hasn't really talked about doing anything and so we're going to keep our ear to the ground and uh, talk more about that uh, in the future uh, speaking of audiobooks if you're looking to discover new content, we have a post that's on the front page right now, uh, the best audiobooks of 2014, and this is courtesy of the Audio Awards, which uh, the Audio Audio Awards have been, oh man, they've been going on for 20 years, and they talk about, our they, they sort of run these sort of like award ceremonies in New York, and they pretty well put the spotlight on audiobook of the year, best original work, you know, uh, autobiography, memoir, narration. So some books won big. Uh, the big winner was Mandela at Audio History, which was basically all about Nelson Mandela. Uh, the Graveyard Book, too, by Neil Gaiman actually did quite well. It won awards for ages 8 to 12. Distinguished Achievement in Production, and Multi-Voice Performance. There's a lot of different categories there. So if you're looking for a great listen, uh, check out all the p things that won awards because they usually s denote that they're actually of quality and stuff. So in further talking about audiobooks, a lot of people are saying right now that audiobooks are cannibalizing physical audio. And this has been actually quite evident for a number of years. So CD sales are falling at a fairly rapid clip or barely 
growing at all. Uh, the unilateral consensus is that physical audiobooks overall accounted for 19% of all audio purchases in 2014, falling from 31% in 2013, so that's fairly dramatic. Uh, this year is looking even worse as physical audio sales have decreased by 18%. Uh, so they've decreased to 18% uh, in the first quarter of the year. Uh, most of this data data comes from Nielsen Bookscan, who said unit sales of physical audio barely moved the needle at all, with 0.2 growth in 2014. Uh, things looked even more bleak, according to the Association of American Publishers, who said CD sales fell by 7.7% in 2014. So all of the major people who track sales are saying that it's all falling so have they really fallen so profoundly in the last year uh, some of the largest companies uh, do have problems with the data provided by nielsen and the aap senior vp of content acquisitions of recorded books said that these fingers are not wholly representative of the industry activity he said indie publishers don't report and a number of larger companies are outsourcing cd production with print-on-demand agreements so those numbers don't get picked up the primary problem as the spokesman of recorded books pointed out is that indie authors don't invest in proper isbn numbers not investing in isb numbers is basically relegating your title to the shadow realm because nobody could really track the sales so you sell five copies you sell a thousand copies because it doesn't have a proper isbn number no one could really track those sales um, and the meaningful data that does not come from print on demand really hampers the ability to accurately portray is the industry following at a rapid clip as nielsen and everyone says it is or is it doing a little bit better with all this unrecorded sales unfortunately we'll never know so one of the big questions is why has tangible audio fallen and i think it's because of the high cost of unabridged retail copies. Uh, the average CD costs $25, and it's not surprising to pay over $40 for a bestseller such as Memory Man by David Batticelli. Digital editions cost less than a tangible edition, but not by much. The average cost is between $21 and $30 on iTunes or Audible. So the question is, obviously, why are audiobooks so ridiculously overpriced to begin with? Well, it all comes down to a concept called billable hours. Each audiobook is on average around 12 hours, which costs on average $300 to $400 an hour for a production studio, a narrator, and for editing. They also do, uh, have to account for multiple takes, and the finished product after it's all said and done is normally between five and six thousand dollars just to make the audio book from a finished novel. Some companies actually piggyback on star power to draw attention to audiobooks and use them for marketing purposes. World War Z, for example, hired 21 different voice actors, such as Simon Pegg, Common, and Martin Scorsese. Even hiring just one famous person to narrate the book drives the production costs up exponentially. The average cost dramatically increases from 1000 to 5000 to 1500 per book hour and the final production cost the publisher pays is about $17,000. So there is a high cost in doing the digital edition and 
this is both the digital and a tangible edition. So the reason why you're paying so much more money for audiobooks compared to an ebook, which the standard ebook from a major publisher is about $9.99. Sometimes it's about $12. Sometimes a really new book that gets a lot of hype that comes out, which it will be about $16 or so. But an audiobook is pretty well always double or triple the price of an ebook so it's no small wonder why the publishing industry is making so much more money than the audiobook industry but a lot of people are starting to uh, basically enter the game now and do it because just being able to digitally distribute a title uh, does not have the sort of same cost as it is with the commercial sales say with like a bookstore and everything like that being able to uh pay the truck driver pay for like distribution pay for the physical manufacturing of like the content and so on so let's do a 360 i want to talk to you guys about a book that i read that i really really dig so as you guys know i live in canada vancouver bc to be uh more particular i grew up in ontario though uh in a small town called thunder bay so this was about about a 16 hour drive to about toronto and passing through on the way is waterloo and waterloo is the home of former research in motion now simply called blackberry i read a book called losing the signal it's the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and fall of blackberry so it just came out uh, this week, basically, or last week. So it came out last Tuesday. Uh, it tells the tale of a young engineer, Mike Lazarius and Jim Basili, from the early years in high school to the formation of Research in Motion, whose first office, incidentally, was above a bagel shop. So the book was written by two authors who were staff reporters at the Globe and Mail. They've been following BlackBerry since the very beginning. They got direct access to the four former CEOs who haven't really done anything in the media since they left the company. And interesting enough, when they left the company, when they did the announcement, they actually hired some very expensive uh, publicity artists. The publicity artists were the same people that uh, basically did the spin doctoring on Michael Vick, who is the football player that got arrested for dog fighting and for a number of other people who have fallen for grace. So they actually hired people like that to basically say, you know, we're leaving the company, but the company is not in danger. But of course it was. Uh, their diminished market share uh, over the years really eroded their sales. So... What I liked most about this book is the very beginning, like the startup mentality of hunting around for funding, being able to say from, you know, sh before they even made phones, it's like they were making pagers. They were trying to write like these little operating systems that they would try to get other companies to invest in. Uh, a one early case almost actually killed the company early on. U.S. Robotics, if you recall the days when you actually had to connect up to the internet via uh, a modem. So U.S. Robotics actually placed a big order with Research in Motion and ended up didn't pay them. And they didn't pay them with the intention of, they knew that if with such a big order, that Research in Motion had to actually go and get these things manufactured, sit on inventory of thousands, and then, you know, U.S. Robotics reneged on the deal lengthy court case they eventually got the money but it really sucked for a young research in motion back in the day 
Another cool factoid is Basili is he actually revered the book The Art of War by Sung Su. He considered it a spiritual guidebook for a small Ontarian company facing ruthless global competitors. He said, it's not a friendly world out there. Sun Tzu taught him, you can't panic. You have to stay focused. You go into a state. Emotionally, you become formidable. You go into the warrior state. You get a strong sense from reading this book that the telecom carriers were totally unprepared for the data revolution. Uh, Canada, the US, and the UK were all using Edge or 2G uh, for their phones. And then when BlackBerry actually started making phones, the carriers that were actually like, you can't put a web browser on the phone because we, if all these people start doing data and stuff through it, it's going to kill our networks. And then all of a sudden, the iPhone comes along and everybody starts up, you know, spending basically billions of dollars to upgrade their internet from 2G to 3G. And, you know, obviously from 3G to 4G, <laughs> LTE, all that stuff. I mean, it, it covers all of that, but mainly from the perspective of like BlackBerry on how BlackBerry was telling these guys that, look, you know, you don't have to spend the $3 billion to upgrade your network from 2G to 3G. You know, the BlackBerry phone is, it doesn't take up much data. BlackBerry basically from the very beginning did something really different from all the telecom companies. They actually ran their own servers. And that's why you may have heard in the news over the course of the last few years when there's BlackBerry outages. And this was sort of like, I think, during the Arab Spring, it happened. And it happened, I don't know, I would say about three different times it made national headlines because when... You, when you used to use a BlackBerry phone before BlackBerry 10 came out, which is the operating system that all the new phones use, basically when you made telephone calls and you did text messages, it went through the carrier. So the carrier actually made like text messaging fees and they were able to charge for packages. They were able to charge for like voicemail and things like that. But BlackBerry did something very interesting. They actually charged carriers $10.00 in addition to every phone they sold because people's data was actually going through the BlackBerry server. So that's why BlackBerry for its time had the best email service in the world because it was true pushed email. If I send an email to one of you guys, it instantly arrived. Whereas now it's sort of like it happens like on a, a timer, you know, it doesn't instantly go through and things like that. And that was the money thing about BlackBerry servers back in the day was that everything was just instant. It was awesome. And BlackBerry actually still uses that for their BlackBerry Messenger uh, program on even their BlackBerry 10 phones, but they do that now. So in the end... I like the fact that they talked about the BlackBerry Storm trying to answer the iPhone. It was um, a product that was, oh gosh, it was released a little too quickly and it really floundered in the marketplace and it really killed BlackBerry's relationship with Verizon after that. So let's talk about a few little things here and there. Uh, first of all, e-readers. 
uh, there's a number of new e-readers that are available right now, mainly from European and Eastern companies. So the Onyx Books i86 HDML Plus is available. So we first reviewed the Onyx Book i86 for about a month ago, and we actually got a very early production model. Um, so it had an 8-inch touchscreen with a resolution of 1600 by 1200 and this model that we reviewed did not have a front light but the final production model did it's a 1 gigahertz processor 1 gig of ram 8 gigs of internal memory uh, it does run android so you can download apps to it uh, it also has the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack to play audiobooks and listen to music and also hook up external speakers because this e-reader runs Bluetooth. It's um, 200 US or 220 US or 199 euros. Uh, you can order it from e-reader slash store.de, which is a German site. Another new e-reader that has uh, just come out is the Energy System Pro Plus. Um, so this is a model that we reviewed back in February and we're impressed at the time that it ran Android. Um, but one of the drawbacks is that it was using a fairly outdated screen, e-ink Pearl. And um, they just basically repackaged the e-reader with the same hardware, like the same internal specs, but it actually upgraded to e-ink Carta. So you hear me bat around a lot of these terms, Ian Pearl, Ian Carta, but what does it really mean? Well, Ian Carta came out a few years ago, and it basically provides a dramatic 50% improvement contrast ratio, 20% improvement in reflectiveness over previous generations, such as Ian Pearl. It also supports faster page turns, support for higher re resolution displays, and there's less ghosting. And this is clearly evident in Amazon Kindle Voyage. It actually has e-Encarta, and when you use it, it's actually a fairly awesome e-reader. The Energy System Pro Plus is almost as good as the Kindle, but minus the resolution. This resolution is only 1024 by 758, but it does have Android. So you can install the Kindle app you can and run it side-by-side side with the Kobo app. You can download uh, Replico Reader for your PDF needs. Heck, you can even install Adobe PDF Reader if you wanted to. Um, that's the freedom within these Android-driven e-readers is that you can install as many apps basically as you want. So these are the two e-readers that have really come out. So what's on the horizon for e-readers? Well, unfortunately, it doesn't really look like there's any new e-paper tech going to be announced this year. Uh, E-Ink is the company that's responsible for the aforementioned Pearl and Carta, and they're on display right now at SID Display Week. And between SID Display Week and the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, this is the two avenues that they like to promote uh, new products, new services. It looks like e-ink doesn't have anything new for e-papers, so don't expect any paradigm shifts in technologies or anything. Uh, the company instead is continuing to focus on digital signage. This segment has accounted for 100% year-over-year growth for the past two years, and e-ink expects similar growth in 2015 as well. So they have actually expanded on their Spectra product line to include yellow. Now, Spectra is pretty well what they use for their 
um, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you looked at the little price cards, so um, digital signage for the stores are like these like little dynamic pricing things where you could look at things that are on sale and it's all connected to the little server that's in your grocery store. So instead of someone going and manually changing the price on a can of SpaghettiOs, they actually sit at a computer and say, you know, on sale from a dollar fifty to a dollar twenty, and it, like it all just updates. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Spectra is basically equivalent of the little tags that you see in a grocery store. So they have included a new one to do yellow. So you could do yellow, black, and white, or red, white, and black. So they have two different ways. I think like the reason why they basically did this is. They have customers that bought the previous generation of Spectra, so the the red, the white, and the black. And so it's pretty easy to go to those customers and say, look, you know, you already have these in the stores. Why don't you use the yellow ones for sales or to do something like a pro price promotional campaign or something like that? Because, you know, yellow draws the eye. Red it draws the eye as well, so they could do what they want but it's basically a way that they could like sell existing customers uh new technology so it's actually kind of a shame that they're not doing anything for e-readers this year i was kind of hoping for something uh but even their latest technology mobius is so expensive that it's really hard to do commercial grade e-readers with it um the only one that's currently out there right now is the sony digital paper which is pretty well the best reader that we've ever reviewed like ever it's a 13.3 inch e-reader but it weighs less than a kindle voyage and that's a six inch e-reader so this 13.3 inch model i kind of joked about when i wrote my review where you know when you drop a sheet of paper it just doesn't fall like a brick like when you drop a smartphone it kind of like almost just like falls sashaying side to side it's almost like how the sony digital paper is when you actually drop it it's friggin' light uh but it's boss resolution mobius i guess is plastic based screens whereas most other screens are glass-based. So e-readers can shatter, as we've demonstrated in our drop test videos that are on our YouTube channel. You can just go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash goodyreader, and check out some of our drop test videos. We've actually dropped a lot. We even ran over someone with cars. So uh, you can check that out. It's actually kind of funny. In closing, uh, a few book news uh, E.L. James is set to release a new Fifty Shades of Grey book from Christian Grey's perspective. Uh, this is going to be coming out in June, so June 18th, which is actually Christian's birthday for those of you that love the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. So it's basically retelling the first book, but from Christian's perspective instead of from uh, like the girl. I think her name's Anna. Anna? I don't know. I've never read the books. I'm just sort of reported on it because like for some reason i mean this book sold ridiculously well i mean it sold 140 million copies between march 2012 and and the end of 2014 so i mean i'm hella aware of maybe not the book itself but how the how the book industry and the publishing industry really benefited from this you know 50 shades of grace spawned so many like other authors 
that who wouldn't have otherwise found success writing erotica. Like if there was no E.L. James, there would be no Sylvia Day. Uh, Maya Banks wouldn't be as prominently featured in bookstores as she is now. I mean, E.L. James really opened up the doors for erotica uh, authors, primarily women, to have a base of users to go to the bookstore, to buy them online. And speaking of them of buying them online, I know a lot of ebook companies are really pushing this book hard. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, they're all sending stuff out in newsletters already. Pre-order this book now. It comes out right away. You know, because if they, it's sort of like if I pre-order a book now, you pre-order a book tomorrow, all those pre-orders are added up and compiled for the June 18th date. So when they report, you know, on this day, we've made X number of dollars, they're taking into account pre-order money as well. So that you have to sort of bear that in mind when you start hearing these like crazy figures, like we've sold, you know, X number of dollars worth of books in this one day. So E.L. James said, Christian is a complex character. Readers have always been fascinated by his desires and motivations and his troubled past. Also, as anyone who has ever been in a relationship knows, there are two sides to every story. It's been a great pleasure to return to my happy place, writing, being with Christian and Anna in their universe, and working with the fantastic team at Vintage. Uh, the entire bookselling industry is, is clamoring. I mean, I know that when Fifty Shades of Grey first came out, at that Christmas, the publisher gave every single one of their employees a $5,000 Christmas bonus from like the lowliest person on the totem pole to like an executive. So that's how good of a year that they had. And it's really rare that they do that. So ever since the success of Fifty Shades, whenever I go to like these publishing events, everyone's like, what's the new Fifty Shades? What do you think that will sell, you know, as many copies? Do you think, uh, you know, do you think, uh, Harry Potter girl, do you think her book will sell? No, you know, what do you both, uh, what about James Patterson? Wow, he sells a lot of books, but you know, he doesn't sell that many each book. And you know, Stephen King, well, you know, he doesn't sell as many books as Fifty Shades of Grey, so we have to find a new, a new, someone new, you know, and they're, they're constantly like. What do, we, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? And, you know, agents are always on the lookout. You know, everyone's on the lookout for the next Fifty Shades. And ironically enough, what is going to probably be the number one bestseller of 2015? Well, it's going to be a retelling of Fifty Shades. So, I, you know, I'm not that into it. But I know a lot of people are going to be reading that book. And a lot of people are going to be making a freaking ton of money. Before I close the show, I want to do a little bit of commentary, if you'll all indulge me. So Nook Press right now is a self-publishing system that Barnes & Noble is running. So self-publishing is basically the way that Barnes & Noble can get indie authors to contribute books to their platform the books aren't in their stores, but they're mainly done as ebooks. So, uh, Nook Press is the second generation platform. Um, it launched in early 2013, and 
I, it's my belief that Nook Press is bad for authors and solely exists to financially gouge them at every opportunity. Last year, the former general manager of Nook Press and VP of Acquisitions, Teresa Horner, wanted to devise a way for the self-publishing platform to make some serious money. She opened up a dialogue with Author Solutions and a deal was struck in October. One month later, she was fired from Barnes & Noble. The Author Solutions deal finally allowed Barnes & Noble to make a lot of money from their cadre of self-published authors. This includes a $999 package to get an ebook cover art and formatting done, or a $2100 package that includes expert editorial assessment, which basically informs the author what they're doing wrong and how this service can fix it. There's also an illustration option starting at $275 or three different tiers of book editing. Basically, if there's a way for an author, to, uh, you know, if there's a way to gouge an author to pay money for something from ebook forwarding to an ISBN number, they're doing it. So many authors are unaware that it's not Barnes & Noble themselves who are conducting these services, but everything is outsourced to Author Solutions. Whenever an author is sent over to Author Solutions, Barnes & Noble earns a hefty commission. So what's the problem with Author Solutions? They have an absolutely terrible reputation in the writing community for the deceptive methods it uses to ensnare authors, its substandard and overpriced service, and its high-pressured sales tactics aimed at upselling. It's completely ineffective and ridiculously expensive. The company is also being sued by many different authors who claim they exist as predatory monsters who see authors only as profit. Things are so bad right now that either the Authors Guild has severed ties with them. The fleecing of any authors not beginning in with author solutions. Last week at Book Expo in America, a company named Bublish announced a free two-month trial for Nook Press authors. After the term is up, will automatically be upgraded to a $99 a year package. Lots of people have said that Bublish is basically the equivalent of installing Google Analytics on your website. In reality, it's basically a paid version of hosting a WordPress website along with um, some marketing tools. It's not really anything too extensive. I applaud any new platform that can legitimately prove a resource for self-published authors. And this one looks quite professional, said author Ari McDermott. I have a pretty simplistic way of evaluating things. This is touted as a marketing site, so I had to look at the authors offering testimonials as to how Bublish has helped their sales. The problem is, if you look at them on Amazon, none of them are selling very many books. This is not a put down of either the authors or the work. For all I know, they might be wonderful, but this is a marketing site showcasing authors who aren't selling books. Barnes & Noble Nook Press is obsessed with charging authors for everything that they can. Have whack cover art? You can pay for that. Needs assistance with Word to EPUB conversions? Hey, you can certainly pay for that. Not sure what needs to be done? Well, you can pay for that knowledge and then pay for wh whatever else that they recommend. All along the way, you can expect newsletters, emails, and telephone calls trying to get you to upgrade your existing package. All for the good of the book, of course. Hey, I mean, how long did you spend writing a book? What's an extra $900? What's an extra $2,000 to really make this book sell? 
Nook Press is not inherently bad for authors, but lately all the agreements that are signing, signing certainly are. Self-publishing is something you really want to do. Kindle Direct Publishing might be a more viable option. Uh, they give you a free author page, which you can use to promote and empower yourself with knowledge. It's important for an author to understand the marketing process instead of just mindlessly paying other companies such as Barnes & Noble to be able to do it for you. You need to learn if you want to be an author and you want to make a business of writing that you have to figure out am I going to pay $999 for cover art from the company I'm dealing with or can I hire someone who specializes in cover art for like $120, $150? Why would I want Barnes & Noble to edit my book for $3,000 or more when someone else is an editor and they could do it for $1,500? So there's authors really need to empower themselves with like a crew, you know, I'm not talking about like a gang or, or anything like that, but you, you need, you need your squad, you know, uh, authors can't go it alone. I mean, it's making a, writing a book, you know, it's sometimes a solitary endeavor. You know, you're researching, you're at your computer, typewriter, whatever, writing the book. But once that's done, you need help. You need someone who can edit. An author can't really effectively edit their own work. Uh, for, from you know, you're staring at the same words and the same sentence constructions for months or sometimes years on end. You need a different perspective. You need someone to help advise you on marketing strategies. Certainly, if you're not a former marketer or maybe you haven't had a lot of marketing experience you need to tap into ways to get effective self-promotion spamming on twitter buy my book hashtag buy my book now is not an effective use of social marketing it's not even it's just spam you know and so many authors are like posting on our facebook wall for goody reader and saying you know, 99 cent deal, buy this book, buy this book. And it's like, in order for me to buy your book, I need to like you. And you haven't given me any reason to like you other than just mindlessly self-promoting your products. And that's what I like about a lot of the authors that I've discovered recently or authors I've been reading for years is because like their social media presence, they come across as like conversational. They link to stuff that's interesting to them. They might read an article in like Wired magazine and say, hey, you know, what do you guys think about this? Or they just might post a picture on one of like their travels or something like that. It's not... I don't know any of the authors I follow on Twitter that actually have ever said buy my book. It's mainly like get to know me as an author and once you get to know me and like me as an author, chances are you'll like my narrative voice and you'll probably buy my books anyways. So you need someone to advise you on that process. So you need an editor. You need someone to advise you on proper marketing processes if you aren't aware of it to like begin with. Uh, look at Hugh Howey as like a case study. I mean, he's an indie author that probably found hella success because how visible he is like on the internet. Check out just like what he does. Um, don't read his interviews, but just like look at his blog. You know, look at his Twitter he is doing it right man and you know as an author especially a self-published author that you need to do this you know you're not going to have the budget to be able to invest in someone to do the marketing for you so you need to get the best advice in order to market your book so that's the advice that i have um otherwise 
you know, you need someone to design your ebook cover arts, going to Google and super, you know, downloading the image, superimposing your author name and stuff and title is not, it's not going to fly today. Uh, maybe 15 years ago it could, but now it's sort of like, you need someone who specialized in like cover art because they do things with like cool fonts with like blending with like layering opacity they do some pretty cool things and it's worth it to pay the few hundred dollars to get deadly cover art because some people are visual some people are analytical your book no matter what it's about has to appeal to both it needs to tell the analytical people by looking at, you know, looking at the way that you've set up, you know, is it a part of a trilogy? Is it a standalone book? Who's the author? You know, things like that. And then visual to appeal to the people that go like that. So, I mean, you need, you need something gripping. You need something that's going to stand out on a bookshelf. Um, look at movie posters. Movie posters is a tremendous way to really kind of see how cover art for books should be done. So I've looked at a number of kind of cool articles over the years about they've like looked at, you know, 50 different movie posters side by side. And it's like the same background on all of them. You know, it's just like maybe different characters on the front, but everything's like the perspective's all the same. And it's like, it's really actually quite interesting how Hollywood is sort of out of ideas for movie posters where they keep recycling the same stuff like over and over. With ebook cover art, you, you need it to like stand out. I mean, if you're looking at a hundred different ebooks on the front page of Amazon or like page 52, your book has to stand out. You know, your description for that book has to stand out. So that's like the best advice that I can offer. And I've totally deviated from my Nook Press ranting and raving, but I don't think Nook Press is good for authors. It doesn't get your book in their bookstores. Um, Nook really has diminished market share in terms of how many people actually go to the Barnes and Noble site to buy books. I mean, Amazon controls 75% of the US ebook market and 95% of the ebook market in the UK. So two of the largest markets in the world, excluding China. And for people who want to translate their book into Chinese, good luck to you, my dear author. So yeah, in the end, Barnes and Noble is not good. I, I don't really like, you know, they're not they're not a platform that really sells a ton of books. Um, I know self-published authors that publish on Kobo, who publish on Amazon, uh, publish in Barnes and Noble, Apple, and they all say, you know, look, you know, Barnes and Noble and Kobo probably perform the worst between Amazon and 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 iBooks that's where I sell the vast majority of my titles so I'm not really knocking them per se but there are better options for any of the author you've been listening to the good reader radio show my name is Michael and everybody take care